Well, we are at the start of our Christmas series, which is relatively loose. Uh, over the next month, we're going to just be preaching about Christmas in some way, shape, or form, which seems fitting. Uh, the Christmas story, though, it starts in an unlikely place among some very unlikely women. The beginning of the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy emerges itself as two besties getting pregnant at the same time, kind of like Emily and Mari, maybe. I don't know. Um, it turns out that these two women were actually cousins, but also really good friends. Now, I know some friends like to do that on purpose, but this was a situation quite different. One of the girls felt like she had missed the boat. She was too old and couldn't get pregnant. The other one was a virgin, so hadn't even considered the possibility. But if there's anything I know about God, it's that He'll surprise us with the way that He works out His plan. He'll work things different from the way that we expected, and He'll create paths that we had never even considered. You know, at Christmas time, we often think of that angel Gabriel coming and giving a message to Mary that she would conceive and have a son. But did you know that same angel was doing the same thing to Mary's friend, Elizabeth, before he even got to Mary. This, the situation that we attribute to uh, Christmas actually happens before the angel even gets to Mary in the first place. In Luke chapter 1, we read about a lovely couple. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to have a quick drink of water to get rid of that muesli bar. I'll give you that because I'll knock it. In Luke chapter 1, we read about a lovely couple. Zechariah is a Jewish priest, and he has a wife named Elizabeth. They were, what the Bible says, righteous in the eyes of God, always careful to obey all the commands of God. Now, they had no children, the Bible says, because Elizabeth could not conceive. Well, one day, Zechariah is serving in the temple, and an angel appears beside him, freaking him out. Do not be afraid, the angel says, for God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, the angel says this in verse 14 of Luke 1. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. What an amazing word from this angel. How do you think Zechariah responds? How does the priest, how does the man of God, how does the one that has seen God do amazing things, who has heard amazing stories, the one who probably taught other people about the power and the, the miraculous nature of God, how does he respond to this promise? Well, Luke 1.18 tells us, says, Zechariah said to the angel, Everyone say said to. Every, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. <laughs> That's a wise husband. <laughs> He's like, I'm old and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> He's like, I'm not saying it. I'm not a rookie. The angel said, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. He is the one who sent me to deliver this news. But he says this to Zechariah, because you didn't believe me, you will be silenced until your son is born. You won't be able to speak. Then he says, my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Interesting. Zechariah says, how can I be sure this will happen? There was never a question in Zechariah's mind that God had spoken. He knew that God had appeared and spoken to him through an angel, but his hang up was on whether what he heard could be believed. I imagine Gabriel hearing that from Zechariah, the Jewish priest being like, really Zechariah? You're actually asking that? No more silly questions. No more talking from you. 
Mute. <laughs> I wish I could mute people. Anyone else wish they could mute people? Husbands don't do it. <laughs> well, soon after this moment, Elizabeth does in fact become pregnant and she prays God. She says, how kind is the Lord? He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Now that's what she said. But I reckon wrapped up somewhere in the praise there was the fact that she no longer had to listen to her husband for nine months. She's like, no, not only am I pregnant after thinking it was impossible, but I don't have to listen to my husband for nine months. How kind is the Lord? The next chapter in Luke, Luke, John, we're in John, in John chapter one, it's a similar situation, but different where Gabriel is at it again. This time God sends Gabriel to Nazareth to visit Mary, a village girl who was a virgin, but engaged to a guy named Joseph. And the angel greets Mary and says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Very similar situation. She's confused and a bit scared. The angel reassures her that she doesn't have to be afraid for she has found favor with the Lord. The angel tells Mary that she too will give birth to a son. But then the angel says this, and you are to name him Jesus. Luke 1 verse 32 to 33. He will be very great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how do you think Mary responds? How does the lowly village girl respond to God making such a massive promise? How does the girl who likely lacked an education, who probably wasn't invited into the scripture readings in the temple, whose entire theology was probably built off just what the guys told her, how does Mary respond? Well, Luke 1.34 tells us, Mary asked the angel. Everyone say asked. Zechariah said to the angel, but Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel explains that the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will. The angel explains that the Holy Spirit will help, to con- help, help her to conceive a child and that baby will be holy. In verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Can you even imagine hearing from God through an angel about something so massive? about something that seemed impossible. See, Elizabeth was too old. Right, sorry, well along in years. And Mary was a virgin, so seemingly impossible. And I'll be honest, as I read these passages in Scripture, I went back and forth, back and forth, and I wrestled with something. I would read the account of Zechariah, and then I'd be like, okay, and then I'd read the account of Mary, and then I went back to Zechariah and back to Mary. I probably did it like 10 times, and I'm like, ah, I'm missing something. Something doesn't line up here and I don't know what's going on. Zechariah is told he would have a miraculous baby boy and his response was, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm old now and my wife is well along in years. The angel Gabriel tells him that because he didn't believe, he's gonna be silenced until the birth of his son. I'm thinking, man, is this like a punishment for not believing the word of God? Like, is it a punishment for lack of faith? But then Mary's told that she would have a miraculous baby boy and her response is, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And yet the angel was patient and just explains what's going to happen. She says, may it all be done to me exactly as you've said. And then she gets off scot-free. She doesn't get muted like Zechariah did. This feels so unfair. Double standards, ladies. I don't know what's going on here. You read it in the Word. It feels like a double standard, right? When you see those two parallel situations, it seems like the same thing happened. And yet they get a different treatment. I'm wondering, man, is it because Zechariah was a Jewish priest and he should have known better? 
And is it because Mary was a lowly girl from the village and maybe God had more compassion and understanding on her because of her upbringing? And like, wow, that sounds cool. It's just that that's not the nature of God. God is fair and He's just and He's equally as compassionate to all people. It doesn't line up. So I thought, God, why is it? Why does it look like they do exactly the same thing and yet get, get different treatment? And then God circled me back around to their responses. I'm like, God, I've read it heaps. Um, it's quite impressive how many times I've read that. He says, go back to their responses. He says, you've read the words, but what is their heart? He says, you, you're reading what is written, but what is it that you're hearing? Zechariah said, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm old now, and my wife is well along in years. And Mary said, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Zechariah says, how can I be sure? Mary says, how can this happen? Let's have a quick look at the responses. Zechariah's response, how can I be sure? Essentially, he's saying to God, I've heard you, but how can I trust your word? Should I believe you? God, we're really old. I don't believe it's possible. How can you give me assurance that you'll actually do what you said you were gonna do? Do you realize how old we are? Are you gonna do it before we die? Zechariah isn't sure that he can trust God's timing because he's looking at the natural and he's allowing that to have more authority than what he probably knows God is capable of. And Gabriel says, my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Gabriel's like, chill out. The timing's not an issue. God is well over the timing. And then Mary's response, she says, how can it happen? She says, how can this happen? I am a virgin. It's kind of like she's saying, I hear it. It doesn't make sense to me, but I believe you. My condition suggests that it can't happen, but God, you've said it, so how does it work? I believe her assurance came from the simple fact that God had said it. And so Gabriel responded different, and he went on to explain to her. Her heart about the matter was different. Zechariah said, prove it. Mary said, help me see it. And the very foundation of the beginning of the Christmas story, with the promise of a Savior born to a virgin, came from a humble, I believe you, but I don't know how it works. And isn't that the entire gospel story? Isn't that as you read the Bible and you read all the stories and you're connecting the dots, isn't that just how it works the whole way through? To believe God despite our limited understanding. It's like, God, I believe that you forgive me of my sin, but I'll never get my head around why. God, I believe that you can make me whole, but I actually don't know what that wholeness looks like. God, I believe that you welcome me in as a child of God, but I'm not really sure why you would. How do you respond when God speaks to you about something massive, something seemingly impossible, how do you respond when God actually does something seemingly impossible? I love that last week we called Miracle Sunday, where we believed for amazing miracles. And if you've got a praise report on that, please share it with us. Share it with your small group. Share it with people in church. It builds our faith. Share it on a Connect card. We'd love to encourage our staff and continue to pray for you. The Savior of the world had been promised, but when it's finally time for Him to come, one believed the word of the Lord at face value, the other allowed human reasoning to create a roadblock to their faith. See, the son that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have was going to be John the Baptist. may have heard of him. He was the one that was going to prepare a way for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. His role was necessary and important. And although it wasn't Jesus himself, it was all part of God's plan to bring a Savior that would conquer death and sin for humanity. And when God spoke to both of those families, he included a really important detail. He said to each of them, this is what you were to name your miracle. He said to Zechariah, and you are to name him John. And he said to Mary, and you are to name him Jesus. I read that and I thought, does it matter, God? Like, does it really matter? Like, what the, why are you so insistent on what they name their children? 
Like, why does it really matter? Like, couldn't the parents decide what they wanted to call their baby boys? And then I thought maybe it's because God names the miracle and we simply receive it. It's kind of like God saying, I want to do something amazing in your life. And I've got a name for it. See, Zechariah believed the name. He just wasn't convinced that the miracle was going to take place. We do that, right? We say, God, I believe in healing. I believe in breakthrough. I believe in provision. I believe in protection. I'm just not sure you'll do it for me. I believe what it's called. I believe what it is. I'm just not convinced you'll do it for me. Mary believed the name. She just wasn't sure what the miracle would look like. So her way of thinking was, God, I know you bring breakthrough, but what will it look like? I know you heal, but God, how will you do it? I know you'll create a way in the wilderness, but God, would you show me the way? You know, one of the main differences between the response of Zechariah and the response of Mary uh, is that Mary believed that God would do what he said he would. If God said he was going to do a miracle, then that's what he'll do. If God said he's going to provide, then that's what he'll do. Mary's humble but inquisitive nature simply wanted to see more of the picture. And I think that's the defining difference between why Zechariah got a different treatment for his response. I've got one main thought for you today, and it's simply this. Don't rename what God is doing. Don't rename what God is doing. See, the Christmas story is all about God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. It's all about a Savior being sent in our place so that we could find forgiveness, wholeness, and relationship with God, something we couldn't possibly achieve on our own. And I kind of feel like God wanted to give Zechariah and Mary the names of their boys, the names of their miracles, so that they would never forget what God did. So that every time they saw their son and they remembered the name, they would remember God did that. That's the miracle that God provided. One way too old, one was a virgin, both thought it was impossible, and yet God did that. And I believe their name was a reminder to those women. I remember being in Elam Leadership College in 2011, a few years ago, and we were preparing ourselves to go on a mission trip to Tonga. Now, the whole idea is that every student would pay about $1,100 to cover the cost of the trip, and I wasn't too sure how I was going to do it. I was working part-time at that time, and it was a lot of money, but I really wanted to go. At that time, we were learning about all the different names of God in the Bible. And one of them is Jehovah Jireh, which is the Lord will provide. Which is amazing because we often think the Lord can provide. Yeah, He can, but the name of the Lord is that the Lord will provide. It's a very big difference. Embedded within one of the names of God is this idea that God provides out for our needs. Like that he actually makes a way for us to supernaturally receive the things that we need. We're about two weeks out from the trip and I'm scraping together every dollar I can possibly find to hopefully pay the final payment so I can go on the trip. And a friend hands me an envelope. And when I say friend, I use the term loosely, like kind of a friend. More like a friend of a friend. She knew nothing about my struggle to get the money together. I, didn't, I was honestly surprised at the time she even knew I was going on the trip. But she hands me this envelope, and inside is $200, which was the final $200 I needed to go on the trip. I remember telling my classmates when I went back into class at ELC uh, that week, I said, this is amazing. Someone's given me the $200 that I needed, so now I can go on the trip. And they said, praise God, he's a provider. And I was like, no, my friend gave me, my friend gave me the money. It was the generosity of my friend that allowed me to go on the trip. Like, God didn't give me the money. My friend was generous and gave me the $200. How blind was I? God is a provider and provides for his children. And then he literally orchestrates a way to get that provision to me, and I try to rename it. And we do this all the time. We say, ah, it was just a gift from a friend. It was just a meal from our food crew at church. 
It was just my neighbor looking after the kids for a couple of hours. It wasn't much. It was just an unexpected tax return. Maybe it was someone that became unavailable for their appointment so I could see the specialist earlier than I expected. Let's call it for what it is. It's the provision of God. And you will call it provision. And you will call it protection. And you will call it breakthrough. And you will call it healing. And you will call it comfort. I want to invite my friend Kylie to come and join me on the stage. Uh, she's just going to share an amazing testimony. Uh, we had Miracle Sunday last week, and, and Kylie messaged us, uh, I think just yesterday, I think it was, and I thought, man, we've got to hear this story. Kylie, do you want to share a bit about what God did? Sure. Um, so my husband Steve and I, we have twin seven-year-old daughters, um, and one of those daughters was born with a genetic condition called MED12. Um, and this means that one of her X chromosomes is completely cancelled out and it provides like um, high medical needs for her. But one of the things is an intellectual disability. So the geneticist says that even as an adult, her cognitive ability will never be more than 10 years old. So that's going to be her cap. And last year, um, they did a Griffiths assessment, which assesses her brain. And they assessed that she was operating at about 24 to 36 months old. She's seven years old. Um, on Friday, I went to pick her up from school, and her teacher like frantically called me in um, to the classroom, and she burst into tears and showed me this bit of paper. Oh gosh, this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> um, it's just so amazing. She showed me this bit of paper, and she's trying to explain to me the magnitude of what I was looking at because it meant nothing to me. It was just a piece of paper with a bunch of numbers, um, and. So these three columns. The first column is the beginning of the year. Um, so they had done the end of year testing in the classroom that day. The first column is the beginning of the year and it's completely blank. There's nothing, it's zero. Um, the second column is 10 week score, zero, absolutely nothing. She has no cognitive ability. Um, last week, so in class, she was, be, she was able to count to three. She could go one, two, three. Um, she was just starting to write an S, which is the beginning of her name. And that was about the, the limit of her intellectual ability. Um, on Friday, they did a test. Um, her teacher said it's a half an hour test, it's pretty intense. She sat there for the entire half an hour. Her teacher said it was incredible, like she just was crying the whole time, um, which would have confused her. But, um, she said it was like she was memorising it, she was recounting it from a book. Um, she answered every single question, she wrote down words, there was like 10 words that she showed me she wrote down. Um, she scored 51 out of 60 and she got the top of her class um, in this test, the end of year test, which last week she wouldn't have been able to do at all. So, just amazing. Come on, praise God for that. That is amazing. Amazing. God is alive and God is working. And you know, the temptation of people to go is like, oh, she's, her teachers have done a good job. And they have. And she's progressed, and she has. But actually, that is a miracle of God. That is absolutely heavenly breakthrough to go from zeros and zeros and just counting the three to getting the top score in the class. That's incredible. And thank you, Kylie and Stephen, for all you do for your beautiful girls and for willing, being willing to come up and share in front of these scary people. You're amazing. Can we just honor Kylie for sharing her story with us? <laughs> Christmas is about heaven coming to earth. 
It's about Jesus leaving his throne to take on the body of a man to achieve what only he could achieve on the cross. That's why one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not just God for us, not just God on our side, but God literally with us. Let's be like Mary in the way we respond to God. She said, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. We might say, how can this happen? I'm poor. How can this happen? I'm sick. And it's not in a whingy tone. How can, God, how can this happen? I'm discouraged. How can this happen? I'm disconnected. How can this happen? I'm unqualified. And I suspect that if we would pause and listen, we'd likely get the same response that Mary got. The Holy Spirit will. And when he does, call it for what it is. That's the goodness and grace of God in your life. See, too many people are giving coincidence the credit for an answered prayer. After Mary hears the promise from God through the angel Gabriel, says this from verse 39 to 45. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, her friend and her cousin. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I imagine Elizabeth saying that last line while giving her husband Zechariah a judgy look. You are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. She's saying it from a place of experience from a husband that didn't. I love this passage, the miracle of, of Jesus being conceived and the miracle of John the Baptist and these two miracles collide. Mary hears this amazing promise from God, this big word from God, and her first instinct is, I need to go tell Elizabeth. I need to go tell a friend. Remember that Elizabeth and Zechariah were considered righteous in the eyes of God. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was a wife. Taking words from God to a good trusted friend for confirmation is key. Then when Mary enters Elizabeth's house, just the sound of her greeting fills Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. Those who carry Jesus carry the presence of God. Those who carry Jesus carry power and anointing in their words. And by the time Mary arrives, Elizabeth is already carrying her miracle. She's about six months along at this point. She's tasted the goodness of God for herself. Now, Elizabeth would have known that Mary was a virgin. So when Mary walks in pregnant, Elizabeth already knows in her spirit, God did it for me and he's done it for her too. She says, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? She already acknowledges the unborn Jesus as her Lord, as the King, as this promised Savior. When you know what God is doing in your life and you experience it for yourself, it becomes a whole lot easier to see what God is doing in the lives of others. And when you acknowledge what God is doing, praise comes from your lips. We'll cut a long story short. Elizabeth gives birth to her son. Luke 1, verse 57 to 64. We've only got a couple of minutes left. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And most scholars believe that Mary stayed there long enough to see the birth before going home. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. This is interesting, right? While Zechariah struggled to believe at first, when the provision finally comes, they knew to acknowledge the miracle for what it was. 
they were set on calling him John, just as God had instructed them. What? They exclaimed, there is no one in your family by that name. What are they saying? They're like, what? Why would you name it what God named it? Why would you name it a miracle? Why would you name it provision? Why would you declare that your cleared path is actually the provision of God? They're trying to convince them that there is a rational and worldly reason to name their miracle something else. But they knew the truth. Verse continues. So they, so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name them. I read that and I thought, I wonder how they did that. How do you gesture that? Zechariah, this is your son. What do you want to name him? The Bible's funny sometimes. They somehow used gestures to ask Zechariah what he wanted to name his son. And he motioned for a writing tablet. They had tablets back then. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And Elizabeth went, ah. <laughs> Amazing. He had a moment. He didn't believe at first, but then the provision came. He knew what to call the miracle. He called the miracle what God said to call the miracle, and he ends up praising God. Excellent, you can join me on keys. This is the very beginning of the Christmas story. But it's not the part about the wise men and the gifts. It's not the part where Jesus is born in the manger. It's the part where God activates the next part in his plan to rescue and redeem all of humanity among a very unlikely village girl. Now, some would say, ah, that's just a questionable pregnancy. Some might call it that Jesus was just another baby and he ended up being a good teacher. Some might say it's just an overhyped story, but it's not. Let's not rename what God did. And you will call him Jesus. God did the impossible. God conquered the death, death in the grave. God bridged the gap between him and his humanity. God sent Jesus not just as a baby, but as the savior of the world. And I'm gonna call it for what it is. It's love, it's grace, it's provision, it's redemption, it's salvation. I think Mary said it best when she said, how kind is the Lord? Isaiah 7 verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Some people in the room, you've heard about Jesus heaps and you haven't yet been convinced that he is who he says he is or who others were saying he is. Could I encourage you to stop renaming what God did? God literally left the throne room of heaven to take on the body of a man that he might walk this earth, experience life somewhat like we experienced it and go to a cross to take a punishment that you and I deserve so that we instead could walk free. The best part is you receive that free gift of salvation and forgiveness as a free gift. You acknowledge Jesus and he gives it to you. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Wasn't normal looking baby, tantrumy toddler, just some other kid in the village. No, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son. We don't wanna rename it, we don't want to consider it anything else. It was the strongest display of love the world has ever seen. And we're going to call it for what it is.